Beloved, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, as we uh, begin to uh, think about the fall and uh, our new church schedule. Uh, we are in the preaching schedule, of course, back in the book of Romans in the morning, and I will be starting a new series in Jonah, uh, I think, next Lord's Day evening. I think that's when I'm, I'm going to start that. Um, but that will be starting soon. Uh, this evening, though, I wanted us to think uh, a bit about spiritual courage, um, and I'm going to explain why in my introduction, but this is, uh, I think, an important topic uh, for the life of, of not just this congregation, but for every congregation and for every Christian uh, in our day uh, and in our, in our present uh, cultural context. Well, if you please stand uh, as... Uh, We read Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Let us pray. Our blessed God, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, that we would not just hear your word, but, but believe it, uh, respond to it by grace through faith. Lord, would you transform us more and more into the image of Christ and give us true spiritual courage through the proclamation of your word and by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In his recent book, uh, The Gathering Storm, actually a a 2020 uh, publication, uh, Al Mohler opens his first chapter by drawing the reader's attention to the great fire in the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris in the spring of 2019. Many of you, of course, will remember this. Uh, It captured the world's uh, attention, uh, didn't it, to see this iconic uh, 900-year-old ecclesiastical structure fiercely burning. For Moeller, it was more than just a fire in a great cathedral. It was symbolic of a far more devastating burning, namely the burning of Christian civilization in the West. Moeller states that, quote, the cathedral stood as an essential monolith of Western civilization, signifying the central role of Christianity in the development of European identity. Indeed, the very design of the structure itself marked the emergence of Gothic architecture, an architecture style intended, above all else, to communicate the transcendence and the glory of God, end quote. That's what Gothic architecture was meant to do. When you walk into a grand Gothic cathedral, of course, uh, there are the archways, Uh, Not only as you walk in, but also as you look up after you're in the sanctuary and you see all everything drawing your eyes upward. But as the towers of the Notre Dame were burning, destroyed on that spring day in Paris, again it symbolized the greater burning of the Christian West. Secularism has engulfed Western civilization and its flames of falsehood and lies, and our culture and our culture itself mirrors the pagan pre-Christian first century like never before. In fact, when we read uh, the book of Romans, and of course we 
I did a bit of an overview to remind us about where we have been so that we understand where we are in chapter 7. We consider those, those verses in chapter 1, which uh, exemplify this great exchange that happens when God is rejected for creatures and for idols and for sexual immorality. And we're seeing that happening, of course, uh, in our own day like never before in, in the West. Well, there's much to say about all of this, and many books have been written and are being written about the secularization of Europe and North America, the Western civilization. But what I'd like to focus on is this evening is a renewed call to the church to exercise spiritual courage, a renewed call to the church to exercise spiritual courage. By the way, it brings like nothing else, delight to the heart of a pastor to hear of uh, their congregants standing up for Jesus and making difficult decisions and having struggles in relationships and making right decisions which are costly to them, either socially or financially or what have you, because of the fact that they are exercising spiritual courage. It's such a blessing, and I hope that Tonight, uh, we all will be encouraged uh, in our Christian lives, encouraged to exercise spiritual courage in an age of great compromise uh, in the West. We're going to survive uh, in the battle that we are in. We must respond to the Bible's call, to God's call, to be strong and to be courageous. Again, these kinds of calls aren't coming so much from the church anymore. There is a great effeminization of the church all over the West, and men are not called to be men. Men aren't being called to lead uh, with, with loving strength, to be courageous, to stand firm. Uh, rather, uh, everything that is being depicted of men in the West is as weak effeminate, um, not leading, uh, not showing true humility and, and strength, but uh, only man, uh, manhood is, is really misunderstood uh, as uh, it ought uh, to be, as God has set it forth in his, in his word. And so we must respond to this call to be strong and courageous, to put on the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, to fear God and not man, uh, to lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees and fight the good fight of faith. This is what we are called uh, to do in response to the saving grace of God. We learned this morning, we were reminded this morning that salvation is all of grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Nothing that we do adds to that. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, praise the Lord that when we wake up in the morning, we don't wake up thinking, oh no, I have to face the crushing demands of the law again. Uh, I can't live up to it, but I'm going to try yet again to do that. And I'm going to have this guilt, and, and I'm going to live in fear, and, and I'm going to live cowering. No, we don't need to live like that because we're saved by grace. But now, saved by grace, how are we called to live? We're called to be strong and courageous. And there are various aspects of that that I want us to unpack 
uh, this evening. We need a new generation of men and women who are willing to give all for the sake of Christ and to stand firm in the face of danger and persecution and even in the loss of life itself. These are the kinds of calls that our Lord Jesus Christ himself gave to his disciples. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? And follow me. I think if today there was a call of the church, it's to indulge yourself, take up your cell phone, and follow the world. And profess Christ at the same time, and it really has no great bearing upon the decisions you make or the way uh, that you live. It's especially a problem. Well, it's a problem everywhere, but it's especially a problem among young people, high school and college age, where there's the, the quoting of Scripture in the bio and the profession of faith in Christ and the social media bio, but it has no bearing upon the way that they live on the weekends. Now, it's not just a problem with young people. It's a problem uh, across the board. Of course, hypocrisy has always been a problem in the life of the church, but, but we must say that we want to live, by God's grace, sincere Christian lives, not duplicitous lives, not, not saying one thing and then living in a way that is opposite. We need a new generation who are willing to give all for the sake of Christ. Again, these things aren't emphasized much in our day where comfort and safety are sought after at all costs rather than the glory of God and the honor of his name in the church and in the world. It used to be that books... Uh, were written on martyrs, like Fox's Book of Martyrs in the 16th century and, and other books that gave accounts of the martyrs because they, they wanted to set forth examples of those who were willing to give all for the sake of Christ. Like Jan Hus, for instance, the Czech reformer who was called to the Council of Constance in 1415. And he was given a safe conduct. Come, we will not hurt you. We just want to hear your views. And of course, as he began to share his views, which were contrary to the views of the medieval Roman Catholic Church, they said, ah, we're going to revoke your safe conduct and we're going to take you out to the field and we're going to burn you at the stake. And this is exactly what they did. And he died singing the Psalms while the flames engulfed him. He was willing to die for the Lord. These stories, they, they encourage us. When John Knox saw his mentor, George Wishart, executed by the authorities, it put in him a holy resolve to never give in and to live with spiritual courage. This is what happens when we read our Bibles and we see the examples of those being strong and courageous like Joshua uh, and many others that we will consider this evening. When we think of spiritual courage, Again, cannot help but consider Joshua. In Numbers 13 and 14, we learn that a group of spies were sent into the land of Canaan for some recon. When they returned, they expressed, many of these spies expressed fear of these giants in the land. We can't go in there. We will be crushed. But Joshua and Caleb, unlike the others, trusted in God's strength and promises. And it's always interesting 
when you read Christian history, when you read our Bibles, it's not the masses that are saying, we will serve the Lord and we will trust him and we will give our lives for him. It's usually a small number within a larger number. This is the way it is. And so it shouldn't surprise us that we, we hear about just two of the spies saying, no, no, let's go in. We can trust the Lord. He's given us the land. He is with us. They wanted to go in and overcome the land that God had promised them. Well, later, of course, Joshua replaced Moses as Israel's leader, and he was a military leader to lead God's army into the land of Canaan to conquer the land that God had given to them. Look with me again at Joshua 1. I want to read the first nine verses, and we're going to see some important points uh, within this in terms of courage and strength in the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness uh, and this uh, Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, we could spend 10 sermons on this, but just by way of consideration, think of what is being communicated here. First of all, Joshua is called to go forth and to remember the promises of God. He's called to go forth and to remember what God has promised. He doesn't go forth uh, in ignorance. He goes forth knowing that God has promised to give them the land. Secondly, he says, no man will be able to stop you from fulfilling my promise. Verse 5. You know, it reminds us of the verse Christ when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that no man, no president, no prime minister, no emperor no army, nothing can stop Christ from building his church. And if any of his servants are taken out in the meantime, he just raises up new ones through whom he will bring the gospel and continue to build his church. Notice thirdly that he, declare, he, he exhorts uh, Joshua to be strong and courageous no less than three times. That emphasis there, that repetition ought to make us sit up. 
be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. This is not an exhortation that simply goes to Joshua in this time and place. It's an exhortation that comes to all of God's people for all time, and we'll see how this is reinforced uh, again in the New Testament. Fourthly, he says, obey the word of God in mouth, in your mouth and on your heart. Meditate upon the word day and night. Joshua is a military leader. He's leading an army into battle, and yet God commands him to meditate upon the word of God day and night. And so we see where his courage, the source of his courage and his strength will come from, from the truth and promises of God's word. He is to be obedient to the word of God. And then fifthly, he says, do not be afraid or dismayed. Why? Because the Lord is with you. We see echoes of this, don't, don't we, in the uh, Great Commission. The Lord says, go forth, make disciples, baptize, and I will be with you. I will be with you. God says to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. The Lord is with you. It's like Psalm 23. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you ought to fear no evil because my rod and my staff, they will comfort you. He is with us uh, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the valley. Well, there are lots of important lessons as it concerns the virtue of spiritual courage, but the first lesson is that it should be something we should all want in our lives. Do you want to be more courageous in your Christian life? Do you want that to be a part of, of your Christian piety, that you would be more courageous? Well, uh, the answer for every sincere Christian ought to be, yes, yes, I want to be more courageous. Are we praying for spiritual courage? Are we as fathers praying for spiritual courage for our children, for our wives, for our families, for our church? Are we aware of all that is against us to smother spiritual courage? Are we simply taking in everything the world is, is bringing at us, not being careful about the way that these things can smother and squelch spiritual courage? Do we rightly recognize the source and marks and effects and present need of spiritual courage? That's what I hope we can consider briefly this evening. Proverbs 28.1 states that the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. But we don't always live this way. And it's often due to the relentless opposition to our Christian lives that we fail to do so. That's the first point, the relentless opposition in the Christian life, again, to this spiritual courage. Of course, the so-called trinity of evil, our three greatest enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We see here Paul's description of uh, the Ephesian Christians prior to conversion. Here we have the world, the flesh, and the devil, all three of our greatest enemies mentioned here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among them, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here we have the prince of the power of the air, the devil. Here we have the desires of the flesh. And here we have, of course, the world. All three of these that are at war against us, they are in opposition. We also have the fear of man, which becomes a great challenge to us in our exercise of spiritual courage. And Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, it says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Who are we to fear? We're to fear God. We ought not to fear man. Even man who can kill the body is not to be feared more than we fear God and seek to glorify him in our lives, to be faithful witnesses. There are many forces that oppose us, but we must not cower in fear and despair. Rather, by God's grace and spirit, we must show courage. We must show courage. And may I say, as an aside, because of the intense political climate that we are in, some Christians think that to show courage is to be obnoxiously political, if I can use those words. Obnoxiously political. And the way that they speak, all the things that they listen to, all the things that they read, you would think that the kingdom of God depended upon whether or not the next president was a certain person. the one who shall not be named from this pulpit tonight. And we need to be careful that we don't think that spiritual courage is about being merely politically active and to fight for some kind of moral righteousness in the public square. There's a time for that, and Christians ought to be faithful, responsible citizens wherever they are. Christians ought to vote, Christians ought to love their neighbor. Christians ought to pray for those who are in authority over them. Christians ought to engage, as they are called to, in those kinds of conversations. But spiritual courage is of a different type than this kind of political, active uh, uh, work. Uh, spiritual courage is connected to the kingdom of God, and of recognizing that more important than any nation, than any earthly kingdom, is the kingdom of God and the making of disciples for his glory. And so let's remember that as an aside, that, that courage as Christians is to carry out that which is clearly set forth in his word. And part of that is praying for all of those who labor uh, over us. So where do we find this strength and courage? Where do we find this strength and courage? Where did 
Joshua find this strength and courage? Where did Daniel find it? Where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find it? Where have many of our heroes from church history found it? Well, uh, the source of spiritual courage, of course, is found uh, in the Lord himself. Wilhelmus Abrakel, a 17th century Second Reformation Dutch reformer, has a wonderful little chapter in volume three of his Christian's Reasonable Service. We have it in the library, uh, so uh, if you want to check this out, it's in volume three. Uh, but there's a, 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 um, a chapter, a short seven or eight page chapter in volume three called Spiritual Strength or Courage. Wilhelmus Abrakel, Spiritual Strength or courage. In one section, he writes that the origin of our strength or courage, again, is in God himself. And he quotes Isaiah 40 and verse 29. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. To them that have no might, he increases strength. He then writes this. God assures the soul of his help and support and impresses upon the heart his promise relative to this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41, 10. A believer receives these promises by faith and strengthens himself by means of them. As someone who, in a storm, finds himself too weak to remain standing, takes hold of a post or a tree and remains standing due to its immobility. The courageous person, likewise, takes hold of the strength of the Lord. The courageous person, likewise, takes hold of the strength of the Lord and thus remains strong and unyielding. Isaiah 27, 5 let him take hold of my strength. This is what David did, he writes. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. So we are called, dear ones, to take hold of the strength of the Lord. The Lord is the source of our strength. We are told uh, by the new agey uh, kind of philosophy of uh, so many in our day, in our cultural context, they say, you need to search deep within for strength. Find strength within yourselves. No, find strength outside of yourselves. Don't just be introspective, be extrospective. Look outside of yourself to the Lord for strength and courage. and He will provide that for you. It's found in the Lord. It's found in the means of grace. Those means that God has given to us to strengthen his church. Some would ask, what do preaching and baptism and the Lord's Supper do and prayer do for the church? It strengthens the church. It encourages the church. It nourishes the church. It keeps the church healthy and strong and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ himself has instituted means of grace, means of strength, means of encouragement for you, the church. And so as we sit under the preaching of the word week after week, as we come to the Lord's table every Lord's Day, as we remember our baptisms, as we witness baptisms, we are strengthened in the Lord. Why are so many who are outside of the church and away from the means of grace so weak and 
giving in to the temptations of the world? Well, because they're not being strengthened in the strength of the Lord. We cannot do it on our own. That's why we need the ministry of the church. But thirdly, what about the marks of spiritual courage? The marks of spiritual courage. Again, at the outset of his chapter on spiritual courage or strength, Abraco provides a definition of spiritual courage or strength. He writes this, quote, Spiritual strength is an undaunted steadfastness of heart. Don't you love that language? Spiritual strength is an undaunted steadfastness of heart given by God to his children, where they, while entertaining a lively hope of acquiring the promised benefits, overcome fear for all danger and opposition unyieldingly engage in warfare and courageously persevere in obedience toward God. Let me read that again. Spiritual strength is an undaunted steadfastness of heart given by God to his children where they, while entertaining a lively hope of acquiring the promised benefits, overcome fear for all danger and opposition, unyieldingly engage in warfare and courageously persevere in obedience toward God. God. So what are these marks of spiritual courage? Abrakel says, first of all, it's engaging in the battle. Engaging in the battle, recognizing that there is a spiritual battle taking place. As Christian believers, we wake up every morning recognizing that it's wartime, and it's never not wartime. If we wake up in the morning and we do not think of the Christian life as a battle, as wartime. We're not thinking of it correctly. We are to enter the fray. David showed courage against Goliath in the battle with the Philistines. He wanted to get involved. He wanted to be a part of the fray. He believed the promises of God. He didn't fear man, even a 10-foot tall one. We are called to enter the fray of the spiritual battle. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning in verse 10. This verse 10, of course, reinforces and highlights and underlines everything we're saying tonight. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, this is spiritual armor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on and we are called to engage and to put on this armor. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Everything we've been considering this evening is really wrapped up in these verses. We're called to be strong and courageous, to find our strength in the Lord and in the power of His might, to be prepared for battle, to put on the armor of God. We could take time to unpack each piece of this armor. We will, we will not do it uh, this evening. We will do it at another time, but notice there's no armor on the back. You've heard this before. If you've studied the armor of God, the Christian is meant to go forward and to fight and not to stay sedentary or to run the other direction. The Christian Gages in battle. That's the mark of a, a spiritual courage. Secondly, he overcomes the fear of man. He overcomes the fear of man. The person exercising spiritual courage once again overcomes the fear of man. He's willing to worship and serve God at all costs. We see examples of this all over. The Bible, uh, one of my favorites uh, that I highlighted in the article that was put in a bulletin today was uh, the courage shown by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young men uh, with the whole world against them, in a sense. Uh, they were told that when the musicians began to play, uh, that they, along with all the other elites of uh, the Babylonian Empire, would bow down and worship this monstrous golden image. And you can just imagine this sea of people, once the music started, bowing down to this golden image. And there are these three young men standing erect, not bowing down. And then, of course, they are threatened with the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, if you want to throw us in there, let it be. If the Lord wants to save us, he will. If he doesn't want to save us, we still will not worship your false god. That kind of resolve, that kind of spiritual courage is what we need more of in our own day, in our own lives. Again, we have Daniel. We have Daniel who was, uh, had enemies uh, within uh, the government, and so they uh, established new legislation uh, through the king that, uh, that only... Prayers could only go towards the king and not towards any other god. And so Daniel said, okay, well, I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. I'm going to, I'm going to pray to the Lord. I'm going to open a window. Um, I'm going to do it like I've always done it. And he did. And, of course, he was thrown into the lion's den, and the Lord sustained him. He was willing to die for the sake of the glory of God and for his truth. Moses, in Hebrews 11.26 it says here, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
Moses and the others listed in, the, in Hebrews 11 were always looking to that better country. They always saw the reward before them, and it influenced the way they live now. They joyfully anticipated the rewards. They didn't focus on the things of this world. How about the effects of spiritual courage? Courage produces spiritual fruit. Courage fosters the obedience of faith, doesn't it? Once again, Albrockel states, quote, the effect of spiritual courage is a courageous prevailing in the battle and perseverance in the obedience toward God. That competence or propensity which never translates into um, deeds is useless. God has given his children grace for that very purpose. Not that it would remain dormant and concealed within them, but in order that they would labor with it. And so the effects of this courage is that the believer perseveres in the battle. The believer perseveres in the battle. A Christian must continually be in armor, for he is, Abrakel says, in the church militant. You understand that the church is called the church militant and the church what? Triumphant. And the church militant are the church that are still here on earth. And we are the church militant, not because we're engaged in physical warfare, but because we are engaged in spiritual warfare and carrying out the mission that our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. Brockle goes on, he says, The enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh are continually active and continually making assault upon our lives. He must therefore, the Christian must therefore, be active in resisting them, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. So the Christian perseveres in the battle if he is living with courage. This is the effect of courage. And secondly, the believer perseveres in obedience towards God. Again, the Dutch reformer says, secretly, as a matter between God with himself, he does what the Lord wants him to do and externally manifests himself to be a Christian by his deeds. He does what needs to be done and says what needs to be said. He is not disturbed by the barking of those dogs and lets them know this. He courageously proceeds and causes them to yield, saying with David, quote, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Such is the nature, Abrakel says, of spiritual courage. Such is the nature of spiritual courage. Well, finally, there's a clear and present need for spiritual courage in our day. Again, Notre Dame burning in the spring in Paris, 2019, a, a picture of Western civilization burning because the Christian worldview that has, has, um, has formed and shaped uh, our laws and our approach to life uh, have been thrown out and are continually being attacked. So we, in our own day, need renewed spiritual courage. We need courageous Christians. We need courageous Christians in Charleston to be faithful to the word of God, not because it earns us a place with God, but because God sent his son to die for us, and we are in him by grace through faith. We are forgiven. We stand before him justified, and, and as justified Christians, we are called to live as courageous Christians. We need teenagers 
like Josiah and King Edward VI, who would expose falsehood and lead with conviction. We need women like the two Margarets, the Wigtown martyrs in the 17th century Scotland, who refused to swear an oath that James VII was the head of 